Hello and welcome to another edition of MedTech Monday on the Road Pod. Digital health is the future. There's no doubt about it. Connectivity, collaboration, moving out of the silos that information is in and allowing patients to have more control and allowing healthcare providers to better understand if their patients are following specific protocols would be a big benefit to our healthcare system. That's just my view. So anyway, we're very happy today to have Megan Rainey from Brown University on here. There is a new digital health center opening up with Brown and Lifespan. And I think this is very, very exciting for our local medtech community and potentially in our investing community. Anyway, without further ado, welcome to the Road Pod MedTech Monday. Hi, I'm Danielle Sturm, and welcome to MedTech Monday, a podcast series about medical technologies, trends, entrepreneurship, and innovation in Southern New England. I'm Danielle Sturm, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Tom Chiginski. Tom, how are you? I'm very well. Soon to be a little bit put out by the wind, but other than that, I think we're okay. I know it's it's coming. I just got a it's notification right before we hopped on. That I, the storm's coming. Yes, I just looked south, and it's gonna. It's about forty four. 44 knots, which is about 52 miles an hour, right about um, 70 miles south of us. It's on the way. <laughs> well, let's get started then. Um, okay. Today, we're joined by a powerhouse of a Rhode Islander. Um, she is a chief research officer at a firm, associate professor at the Warren Albert Medical School at Brown University, innovators fellow at the Aspen Institute, a leading physician of the... Uh, Get Us PPE Initiative, a practicing emergency physician, anemic advisor, and uh, most recently, the new director of the new Brown Lifespan Center for Digital Health. Um, please welcome Dr. Megan Rainey. Megan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here with both of you. Okay. Awesome. Um, Megan, I know I just outlined much of your background, um, and I'm still sure I probably missed some things that you are working on and you are a part of. Um, so do you want to introduce yourself and share with our listeners a bit about yourself, your personal ish, uh, interests, your mission, and really how you've applied those in the medical space you're working in? Absolutely. Thank you. So as you mentioned, I am an emergency physician. I practice here at Rhode Island Hospital in the Miriam and occasionally at Hasbro. Um, I've been in Rhode Island for over 16 years, and although I am not a native Rhode Islander, I joke that my kids now are because both of them were born here. Um, I came into medicine um, because I saw it as uh, the best way to influence our society's health. Uh, I chose emergency medicine in particular because we really serve as the safety net um, for the United States. Uh, and we are the front door to the healthcare system for so many, whether it is folks that don't have access to other healthcare or whether it's for those who have great access but are in an acute medical emergency or transition point in health. I started working in technology um, and digital health a little over a decade ago, actually when I was spending time overseas in Kenya as part of our Brown partnership um, with uh, a university in Western Kenya. At that point, they were using text messaging um, to help HIV-positive patients manage to take their medications regularly. Um, and this was in rural Kenya with folks that were minimally literate and had very little access to health care. I saw this program and I thought, my gosh, we could be doing this here back in the United States with my patients in the ER and with other vulnerable patient populations. 
I brought that back, used it in some of my early work um, using text messaging to help prevent violence among adolescents. And it has since grown into this much larger program looking at how we can use technology across the life cycle for both individual patients and for populations to help improve health. And I'm just so lucky to have this incredible group of collaborators here, certainly at Lifespan and at Brown, but also across the Rhode Island ecosystem to collaborate with, to help dream up what would be most impactful, how to develop it, and then how to get it into the hands of people who need it. And that's just one of my core philosophies is that it's not enough to talk a big academic game. It's important to actually do the work to change health um, of, of people who are out there in the real world. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's so exciting. So I'm, I'm really interested today in talking about your new center. Um, <laughs> and I am very, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm very interested to talk about your new center. I'm very also interested to, to collaborate with you guys, which we'll, we'll get to. But um, do you want to tell us a bit about how you started it and what the vision for the center is? And I'm pretty sure you launched it this month. Yeah. So yeah, just tell us about that. Absolutely. So the Brown Lifespan Center for Digital Health is an outgrowth of years of work that I and many others were doing within our emergency digital health innovation program. The EDHI started about six years ago, really focused on emergency medicine because that's where I come from, but it had grown to be far beyond the emergency department. We worked with pediatricians and geriatricians and computer scientists and engineers, and it became very apparent that this was bigger than just emergency medicine. Uh, so after about a year and a half of planning, we launched our Center for Digital Health about a week ago. Um, it's exciting for a few different reasons. The first is, is that it represents a very deep and real concrete collaboration between the university, particularly the medical school, and Lifespan. So it allows us to make real on um, the promise and the potential of an academic medical center here in Rhode Island. It also holds as a deep value, as you've already mentioned, that importance of collaboration. Again, not just across Brown and across lifespan, but also across and outside of Rhode Island. Um, our other core tenets are about the importance of doing practical research. So we have to have the science to back up what we do. The importance of experiential education. So offering internships and training opportunities to our learners across the spectrum from undergraduates up through faculty and then scaling for impact. And that last part is really through these partnerships with folks like Nemec, like Rhode Island Bio, like our various um, venture funds here in Rhode Island, um, and again, beyond, in order to uh, get programs in the hands of people who need them most. Um, we are just uh, doing the transition from a smaller program into this larger center. Uh, for now, our education consists largely of weekly seminar series, Research is well underway, and that scaling for impact, we have a couple of exciting partnerships um, that we're going to be launching in the next few weeks, um, as well as some work with community groups, because that, that kind of uh, grounding in equity and in the needs of our patient populations and of our community is, is a critical um, uh, value for us. What types of um, projects are you looking to work on and where, where are they coming from? Are they becoming within, you know, Brown and Lifespan? Or are you able to work with people outside of that? It's really a combination of both. Um, and it's uh, and I'll say I'm going to start by saying we really work on the full spectrum of digital health. Uh, my own work is around text messaging apps and social media. But we have folks that are working with wearables, with predictive analytics. Um, we have people that are working on 
uh, next generation fall prevention, remote monitoring, name the concept. We've got, we've got people working on it. Um, many of the ideas do come from either our students or our faculty, folks that are living the experience and have ideas for things that could be done differently or better. Uh, but there are also a lot of projects that we work on that come externally. We've had a number of collaborations um, through the years and already within CDH that come from external partners where we help them to either write grants or work with their funders to help do trials and to um, help them develop a product that's usable and feasible, both for clinicians and for patients, and most importantly, one that makes a difference. Sorry, I thought Tom was going to ask a question. No, I, I um, was, I was, but go ahead. I'm going to say, I'm going to just. Uh, <laughs> He's taking um, notes. <laughs> um, I was going to ask, so what, when you were setting up the center, I first of all, I commend you for, you know, being able to bring Lifespan and Brown together to, to collaborate through this. Um, and what do you see as, what were kind of the hurdles that you were seeing within the industry that had you set up this center? Like, what are you looking to streamline for these researchers um, and uh, innovators? So the biggest hurdle that I see is lack of clarity in communication. So I've got a bunch of clinicians and researchers who have brilliant ideas and brilliant science, whether it's around behavioral interventions, suicide prevention, fall prevention, treatment of congestive heart failure and cancer, people that see needs and, 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 and see possibility. And then I've got these folks that are technologists who either work in companies or are computer scientists who understand deeply what's possible, but don't necessarily understand the clinical need. And there's a lack of crosstalk and it results in a lot of slowdown, a lot of inefficient development. And on the academic side, it results sometimes in things being created that just sit on that shelf. On the tech side, it results sometimes in things being developed that no clinician or patient actually wants to use or that actually doesn't do anything good. And so the goal is to combine those to create that collision of ideas to unsilo us um, and allow us to create that lab or that hub that takes things to the next level more quickly, more efficiently, and most of all, more impactfully, um, with that really being the end goal of, of changing the way that we experience health. And I think right now, more than ever in the midst of COVID, we're all seeing how much virtual life is like all we've got. And so the, the urgency of doing this work um, is felt, I think, more now than, than ever. Mm -hmm. um, Megan, given the fact that you're an emergency uh, room physician, you, you tend to see, I won't say a broader swath of the population that doesn't have healthcare, or maybe you do. I mean, people, people generally are going there reactive, not proactive. Um, what aspects, what, what are your top three things that you feel that digital health can sort of help that segment of the population that doesn't have access to good quality healthcare, may not have a primary care physician, and is looking every time they, they're sick or something to go to the emergency room because that's their, their point of contact with the healthcare system? Absolutely. So you're right that I see a much more vulnerable population than most parts of the healthcare system. Um, but I will actually highlight that more than two-thirds of our emergency department patients have a primary care physician okay. and come to us because they're worried or because it's after hours hmm. um, or because they have a problem that needs more urgency than their primary care doc can provide. Right. Um, I think that we can do a few things um, with digital health. 
one of the first and biggest things is that we can use digital health to augment in-person healthcare, whether it's mental health, behavioral health, or actual physical exams. If you have diabetes, if you have anxiety, if you have opioid use disorder, by using digital health well, it can provide the right information in the moment when we need it, where we need it, without requiring you to come to an emergency department necessarily for that reassurance or guidance. And we can link people up to it in the ED, but we can also link people to these programs in the primary care office, or maybe, you know, we can put the ads in the bus shelter. There are a lot of places where we can capture people to help link them and to augment that physical care. The second thing is, is that we can allow remote monitoring. Um, I think that this is a huge area of potential within healthcare is using technology to identify um, danger or uh, downward slide, no matter what your condition, before it gets too severe. Um, and there's a lot of work that's being done on that, I know, within um, the School of Engineering, um, as well as by some of my colleagues at Lifespan uh, and at the School of Public Health and, and at the med school. So that's the second big area. Um, and the third area is actually not related to the healthcare system at all. It's about reaching people who may never come to us to help them implement preventive care that they might not otherwise think of. It's about using science and technology to do effective science communication, to spread truths about how to stay healthy and to help motivate people. Um, again, whether it's around mental health or mask wearing, um, <laughs> that we can provide information um, to help uh, motivate great behavior change. You know, I'll also say there's great possibility around big data, um, and that's a whole different topic around how do we use the data that we are all generating every day in a way that respects our privacy, um, but also helps facilitate uh, population level change and population level programs. Um, But that's on a that's a really population level um, thing that we're looking at rather than on the individual patient level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Two of those things you just said were so... um resonated with us. We just recorded uh, another podcast with um, a leader of uh, SV Health Investors who has a new fund that's really focusing on, you know, home monitoring and really the new um, it came before COVID, but it was at the perfect time where he's investing in in devices um, and technologies that are like home monitoring um, diagnostics and things like like that. So it fits into the kind of that trend of this is, you know, where healthcare is going and people are innovating in that space. The other thing um, is, and I'm not too sure, well, you probably heard about it. Um, When you bring up big data, the the state of Rhode Island um, in one of their new grant pitches for, I think it's called Get Back to Work Rhode Island is really focusing on bringing big data and AI um, into population health. And um, I think we should maybe talk off this podcast because there's we're, we're working on putting together a proposal um, for some type of program or a learning program to kind of teach people how to utilize big data and AI in the healthcare space and, you know, uh, maybe apply it to patient tracking or um, <laughs> anything around COVID. So it, it's really exciting and it's all very, very trending. Yes, I would love to talk more about that. I think that that's one of the great examples of breaking down silos, getting us all to collaborate. I know that I've worked with you guys on your med tech um, uh, training programs, mm-hmm. which have been really exciting and have gotten a lot of uptake. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I'll highlight with those comments about the remote monitoring and why I think this Brown Lifespan collaboration is so important is that there are two parts to any digital health. Pro- well, there's three parts. Number one is, do you have the technology? Number two is, does it work? 
But then number three is, again, is it usable and acceptable by the end user? And that's by the patient or by whoever kind of the target is, but it's also by the clinician. And one of the things that I think a lot of remote monitoring programs have come up against is that you can develop a great home monitoring program, but if you don't bake into it an easy way for clinicians to interpret and use it, it's not going to be able to make a difference. And so you you don't want to get stuck. You don't want to think of all of it all at the same time because you'll never move forwards. But that clinical perspective is just so critical for creating something that will actually transform health rather than just being a cool gadget that sits mm-hmm. on your shelf. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, we we see that all the time. And um, I like like I said, I'm just so excited to be able to collaborate with you guys because you're kind of doing that front end work where 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 we come in a lot of the times the techno people are coming to with us with you know their full technology, and the amount of times we see where we're like, all right, well, what have the clinicians said? Or like, who's going to use it or how we're going to use it? And they have no clue. They just created this whole entire technology, but haven't even, you know, figured out if if the clinicians would even use it in the first place. Um, So I think it's really exciting to be able to have somewhere that people, we can send people to, you know, if they need to work on that part of their business of like getting the clinical validation and come back to us and we can, you know, accelerate their path to market. It's really exciting. Um, for, for everyone, and especially for being here in Rhode Island. I, I think one of the big issues that the med tech space will face and, and what you're doing will face is that level of, I'll call it middleware, that goes between all of the data coming in, the sensors, the monitors, and everywhere else, so that the clinicians don't have to actually you know, reskill all the time as things evolve, that there's a middleware that's giving them a clean UI that they're looking at, that they can request information, that they understand what they're looking at, whether it's it's a heat map or, or whatever. It's so easy for them that they don't have to deal with reskilling and learning a new technology all the time. I have a, a niece that's a, um, a NICU uh, nurse. And one of the big issues she has is, you know, every time she turns around, she has to go back to the computer, back to the computer, back to the computer. And she would be, she's wonderful. She's looking for a voice interface where she can be walking around and ask a question and get some information back. She said, well, getting the information back is one thing, but what information and how is it packaged back to me? So whether that's by voice or whether it's by visual, I think there's so much data that can be thrown at people that it becomes quickly a blizzard and you don't understand how mm-hmm. to, how to get through it. And I think that's one of the big issues is going to be is defining what those clinicians want, when they want it, how they want to see it, and then developing that as opposed to coming at it from the other side of here's an interface, here's a bunch of data. It's the same thing with that cool product that sits on the shelves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Tom. I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head there that we, like everyone across society, are inundated with data right yeah. now, and there's just not time to make sense of it. Um, and, and thinking through what is that user interface is such a critical component of our work. Uh, I'll highlight there, there's some really interesting work being done um, by a number of folks across Brown, but one thing is a conference um, sponsored by the Macy Foundation that's being led by Betsy Toll, who's a pediatrician um, at Brown, called The Patient, the Practitioner, and the Computer. Hmm. The conference was supposed to happen in October, but because of COVID, it's going virtual and will happen in a number of events throughout the year to specifically explore how is it that we can use the computer as a shorthand for technology to enhance humanism and enhance connection, get rid of alert fatigue, help us all do what we want to do, which is to connect um, a little better. So when is that conference again? October? 
So it starts in October, but because of COVID, they're going to do it as a series of events throughout the year rather than as a single two-day event. Um, It is listed on the Brown CME platform. Okay. Check that out. Get your niece to to participate. (laughs) We'd love to have her. Megan, as a... Another thing I guess I would like to ask you is, um, you know, as a practicing physician as well and being in the digital health space, what do you see as like the more more trending or what do you see as things you would need that you wish or you hope to innovate through your new center? So my dream is that we have uh, a suite of products that allow us to identify who's at risk of various problems before they ever set foot in my emergency department or in a primary care office, gather information efficiently from them so that they don't have to go and sit up, fill out all those paper forms, Mm -hmm. allow us to digest it in a really easy way. And then we have the visit, have that, you know, patient provider connection, but then allow us to seamlessly deliver the right interventions to them at the right time from the comfort of their own home. And that all of that works into the larger public health system. I think, again, COVID has really laid bare the degree to which the one-on-one healthcare system depends on the larger public health or population health system. And it's why my work with the School of Public Health is so critical. I think it's important for us as we create this suite of products to also consider how does it feed into that larger population health? How does it feed into our ability to say this community needs an intervention, this community needs help. Um, and again, get the right resources to the right people at the right time. That's the end goal vision, um, that we do that you know, collaboratively and informed by the community and in a way that really works and is easy. That's a couple of years away. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's going to take us a little bit to get there. It's going to be that bit by bit of developing the little pieces of it and then figuring out ways to, to bring them all together to help create change. And, and also you've got cultural issues involved, and, and I'll highlight one area right there, which the people who run the electronic medical records, right? There's not a lot of interoperability between those companies. And one primary care physician may have one system, another might have another, another healthcare system have another, and they don't want to lift the covers on getting those to communicate because it's not in their best interest financially. So that's, I think, a cultural issue that will have to be overcome to achieving your vision. Yeah, there, there are definitely, there are a whole host of societal um, yeah, yeah. things that, that we'd have to, that we're going to have to tackle. But, sure. you know, if you don't have a big vision, you'll never get there. Exactly. No, 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 I agree. I agree. I agree. There are so many ways to exchange information today with, you know, previously XML and now what's called JSON, which is JavaScript object notation, which is how the cloud exchanges a lot of information. But we don't actually have something in the medical space for that yet, right? We don't have something that can actually be encrypted <laughs> and and then decrypted and in a, in a standardized format that we all recognize. You know, some people may see things differently. It's just like the medical billing systems, right? Physicians run through every year. Oh, they've changed the coding. Oh, they've changed the coding. It behooves them to change the coding because then they get they they don't have to pay out as fast. I I know I'm being I know I'm being a little bit negative here or I'm being a little bit um, uh, critical, but you know, as a technologist, I see these issues as as critical to getting this problem solved initially. That the big vision will never happen unless we get the people that actually control that data and control the flow of it in the same room and ask them why. And ultimately, the why is it's a financial benefit. Absolutely. I I mean, I I agree with you completely Um, for the long game. I think there's also a lot that we can do in the short term in collaboration with those various companies, whether it's Google, 
the various EMR companies, Facebook, Twitter, yep. um, to help create new programs um, that that serve as proof of concept. Um, but I do appreciate your uh, grain of salt because um, I think it's important for us to be honest about the barriers. The other big barrier, of course, is just that, you know, that profit motive in general. Um, just before we did this podcast, I was attending uh, a Zoom-based conference um, led by the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation. And the conference was ended by a man named Don Berwick, who is just one of the leaders in American medicine um, of talking about what's possible. Uh, he's at the uh, Institute for Healthcare Improvement mm-hmm. currently. And he talks about there being um, moral determinants of health and about the fact that we cannot help to hope to improve healthcare unless we address those underlying moral issues. And so we can get caught in focusing on the technology and forget that we also need to talk about that kind of larger construct of what health is and how we help facilitate that for our individual patients. And I bring that up because I think it's important to remember that technology is not an end in and of itself. Right. It's a facilitator. Right. And if we don't set that end goal the right way, right, we can have the fanciest tech in the world. We can have all the interoperability, but we may not actually improve health. Right. And so it's important for us to be careful about how we define what that end object is. And sure, we all need to, you know, pay our bills, um, but we also um, need to keep that kind of that North Star uh, present for us at every moment. So with with your center launching, what's next for you guys? (laughs) Uh, Next is doing the hard work, right? (laughs) The launch is in some ways the easy part. Now it's going to be... Lots of connections. Um, it's one of my favorite things is to connect people together. Um, lots of dreaming big, but also lots of writing grants and pounding the proverbial pavement since we're not actually out there meeting in person anymore mm-hmm. um, to get the funding through the door to show that these products can be created and can work and, and starting to get them actually into practice mm-hmm. um, and growing. Again, I think the word can be overused, but it can't be overstated, growing that ecosystem, which is what makes it all possible. This is not going to be done by any one person. This is by our larger community uh, coming together so that all of us can inform each other's work. And, and that's really kind of where, where the next is. And so slowly but surely building, building the system in, in collaboration with all of you guys um, to make that possible. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Actually, I um, have one more question. Um, how do you see you guys facilitating, like, you know, the, the innovation of these new digital health devices, like in the past, like with you, you were an emergency physician, physician, you were working in it. You were like, Oh, this, we could use this. And you know, you bring in a technologist to help you. Do you see technologists coming in and kind of searching that out for yourself? Or is that something you have to facilitate? I think it can go both ways. So um, we certainly have a number of companies that come to us every week um, with ideas um, that we can try to figure out if we're the right people to work on. And then, of course, the question always is, how do we pay for it, <laughs> right? Because just like the companies need to pay for their time, so do the physicians and scientists and staff members who recruit. And, and, and we need to pay for research subjects' time. Um, participants need to be compensated as well. Um, so there are certainly people that come to us, but there's also an element of us going out and searching for it, um, whether it's participating in you know, NEMIX events um, or other local uh, work. We've collaborated with Rhode Island Bio, the Brown Technology Innovations Office um, run by Neil Veloso um, has been huge in terms of 
um, starting to promote um, the possibility of collaborating with us. Um, Rhode Island Commerce has been great. So, so there is also that outward facing aspect. And I think, you know, just as when you're hiring someone, you're looking for someone who's the right fit for your team and your team is going to be the right fit for that person. It's the same question to me in developing industry collaborations is I want to find a, I want to find companies that are um, the right fit for us and we provide the right expertise to them. They may be the greatest company in the world, but we may not be the right fit for them. And then I'm happy to connect them to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we work in very similar, very similar way. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's about handing them off to you guys. I mean, yeah. really, you guys, we've, yeah, we've but, done that in the past. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that, I mean, that's the same for us. If you come to us too early, we'll, you know, send them right your way. Um, which asks, um, prompts a question is, is there anything we're not doing now that you think could support you? Not yet. Give me a couple of months. Okay. <laughs> I think we'll get there. But I, I mean, I really think that kind of this collaboration, again, not reinventing the wheel. There's no reason to have three different mm-hmm. innovation courses in Rhode Island. We should be doing all of this together and using all of our expertise and resources and recognizing mm-hmm. that many of us don't know what we don't know, but there are other people around us that know that stuff. And so knowing who's out there and how we can work together is to me that the goal and, and the joy of working with you guys at NEMEC. Yeah. I'd like to propose something here. Um, one of the things I learned in the, in the war gaming space, let's just not, let's, let's leave the word war out of it. But the gaming space is that oftentimes we don't, we didn't know, we didn't know that. But one of the things that we learned collaborating, whether it was uh, with the IAEA around WMD or any type of uh, game, which involved a crisis, like we're right now, a pandemic, um, which I was involved in, which oddly enough with a corporate, a major fortune 50 corporation was never came off because they didn't want to fail. So it's an, it, I, it's a long story and I can't go into it, but the, um, one of the ways to, to sort of get people to see a vision and to sort of what that vision could become is to game it out, to walk through that and, and say, mm. you know, here's a problem. How do we solve this and get the people in the room or on Zoom all together and people are actually talking through the process. And we didn't know we didn't know that. We didn't know you could do that. Um, There's a number of ways to sort of build a scenario, understanding what an end result, an ultimate end result would be and see if we can actually get there by gaming it out and seeing what the hurdles are, getting that information out of the silos, uh, building some interoperability in, in, in the technologies, understanding what the technology could be. Um, there's a broad range of gaming technology, of, of gaming, um, methodologies that uh, can be brought to bear on this problem. And at the end of it, you walk away with calls an after action report and their after action report says, in order to achieve this goal, you then need to take these 10 new steps. Boom, 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 boom. And I, I think the gaming methodology could really, really, really go a long way in helping to sort of take that larger vision, put into actionable steps that can be achieved. Then you go back the next year and do it again. After you've made, after you've done yeah. some of those things, we can talk about that offline at some point. A fancier form of strategic planning, yeah. uh, <laughs> interactive and 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 very um, and very collaborative. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, which I think is so doable in Rhode Island. And Megan, this conversation makes me so excited. Um, when I when I graduated school and started, I guess my career in Rhode Island and in this space only two and a half years ago, I kind of went into it as 
um, you know, I'm going to make Rhode Island the just tell people and always think like, you know, Rhode Island's going to be the place to be to, you know, innovate new medical technologies. And through all the work I've been doing over these past two and a half years and just seeing the growth from then, like I could, I had to learn what was happening before that till now, especially with the, you know, start of your new center and um, a lot of these new investment groups and a lot of new groups coming to Rhode Island to support that. It's just, it's so exciting. Cause I think, like I was saying, I've been saying it forever and I'm at the point now where it's like, it's I've, I've been believing it and I believe it. And I will tell people, this is the place you need to come to, to innovate and, and create new medical technologies and digital health. So I'm with you. I, I think it is too. And I think that we just have um, between our access to data, our ability to get um, projects in place in our hospital system and our clinics, um, our deep grounding in our communities um, and our, our um, connections with our patient groups and our advocacy groups um, and our burgeoning community of technology entrepreneurs. Uh, I think there's no better place than here, um, mm. especially right now. Um, yep. It is it's an exciting new world and I'm looking forward to, to bringing it forwards with all of you. We've done, I think, as as a community have done incredible work, as you say, Daniel, over the last mm -hmm. few years. And I, I can't wait to see where we are a year from now. Me too. Awesome. Well, Tom, do you have any other questions for Megan? No, I don't. Just a comment that I think it's wonderful that we have this digital initiative down here. Um, I think uh, Lifespan being a, the dominant provider in the state is going to make it a lot easier to get this, this rolling and um, good luck. Thank you. And I do, I should say, I want to give a big shout out to Dr. Babineau and to Dr. Elias for making this happen. This was through both of their vision and commitment, as well as the rest of Lifespan leadership and the rest of the larger Brown University leadership. Um, but it really was the two of them that helped shepherd this through. So I, I, I want to explicitly thank them for making this possible. That's great. I, I second that. Lifespan's one of our founding partners as well. So we wouldn't be here today without them. Awesome. Well, Megan, thank you very much. What is the best way to connect with you if anyone is interested? So we actually have a new email, digitalhealth at brown.edu. And folks can also check out our website at digitalhealth.med.brown.edu. Um, both are great ways to reach out to us via email, check out our Twitter, our LinkedIn, um, or our webpage for more information about some of our current projects and opportunities. Awesome. And are you still are you still looking to hire um, a director? Yes, we are currently in interviews, but we have not yet filled the position. Um, we have a center manager position available and we'll likely have more positions in the near future. Um, so keep an eye would certainly reach out around that as well. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.